maybe if you're not the mum or you're not the cook, you didn't put a lot of thought into the food other than yum. I can get up at six o'clock this morning and go straight to lollies. I must confess that is a, tre- a trend in our house. My wife gets up and puts out a tray of nuts and lollies and licorice and that sort of stuff. We can still have a healthy breakfast if we choose. <laughs> yes, there's um, sugared fruit in it as well, she says. But often Christmas, we still, even though we look forward to it and we get so excited, we like the familiarity of it. We like that there's commonness in it. We also like that family and friends get together. We like the idea that we're going to wake up and get gifts. That's pretty good, isn't it? No matter who we are. And sometimes those gifts are good, they're average, and maybe we think, okay, what were they thinking here? Have you ever had a gift, though, given to you, maybe at Christmas or birthday, and in the moment you're sort of half content with it when you opened it, but then later on you actually came to understand and appreciate it a bit more. Maybe it was just something simple and you thought, oh, well, I'll never use this, but okay, thank you, sweetheart, that's nice. Hmm. But often in life, things that are common, things that we don't understand their value, we don't truly appreciate them, do we? Because they're common, because we don't really understand. Because, and sometimes it's because they're so common that we actually wonder or don't about their value or don't really appreciate them. For me, over the last 18 months or so, I've been intentionally, as a part of extra study, I've been going through different things in the Bible, different passages and stories, and I've been studying them as if I don't know what they're about. Like I'll go through, I'll read through that book of the Bible, I'll read through that section, trying to get an idea of what's actually going there, and just trying to understand what that verse or passage or story, the account, is actually about. What's going on there? Have I missed something? Because like many of you, when you grow up in a family that where your parents take you to church young, when you're young, a lot of it is just very familiar with you. For me it was, for many years, it was just stories. And I could tell you the stories. But maybe you're, you haven't been brought up that way. Maybe this is your first time at church. But yeah, it's just a lot of religious stuff. Yeah, I've heard it, some of it before, like Psalm 23. I've heard that at a few funerals. I've heard John 3.16 quoted a couple of times when I've been to church. And they're just familiar. We don't always stop and pause and consider maybe what actually is happening there. So I'm going to speak as if you've never understood John 3.16 before. We're going to go through a familiar verse, John 3.16. But this is building on, and the first part to this series actually happened four months ago. It was intended they'll be closer together. If you remember, I spoke on the passage about Nicodemus. That's another common story of how Nicodemus, a ruler, religious ruler, went to Jesus and asked, what's it all about? As we went through John chapter 3, those first 21 verses, there I focused on, to help bring out the meaning, some common phrases that you may think are just religious or they're just common 
and you haven't maybe stopped and thought. And some of those verse, uh, phrases were ones such as Jesus telling Nicodemus a few times, you must be born again. And maybe you're like Nicodemus and you think, ha, I'm 37 or I'm 53. I can't be born again. But Jesus went on to explain that when he was saying that you had to be born again, there was actually talking about you had to be born from above. The Holy Spirit had to come into the life, the mind, the heart of a repentant sinner. And when they first believed, he would regenerate them. It would be a new birth in them when they were made free from their sin, declared righteous by God. That regeneration would happen. So therefore, born again, though a common phrase, was meaning that you were born again and it infers or refers to the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. Another common thing you find in Scripture, and we find it in that passage, is truly, truly. Or maybe your version had verily, verily. Yeah, seems a bit weird, eh? It's not something we use today. But you read it in the Bible, and, we, and I reminded you that it meant it was an emphasis. It was Jesus was trying to get across to Nicodemus and the other people around hearing that this is of a most certain and infallible truth. This is a most certain and infallible truth. So when Jesus said to Nicodemus in verse 5 of John chapter 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born again. It was of the utmost importance to Nicodemus. He needed to get it or there would be a serious negative consequence in his life. I also focused on another common word there in that passage, unless. These children here, we've all been children. When a parent says, unless you do that, you, it means a consequence. It's either you do it or this will happen. It's either or. There's no multiple options. And so as Jesus was going through with Nicodemus in um, John chapter 3, he's explaining to him that there is the option. You either are born again, you are either regenerated and given this new birth by the work of the Spirit in you, or you are damned. Fairly confronting option there, isn't it? So that was the word unless. And then we went right through to chapter, uh, sorry, to verse 21. But on the way through, we also read some verses which I didn't go into any great depth because, I, as I said, I always tended to, intended to come back to this common verse, John 3.16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. I wanted to come back to this because this is a bit like the climax, the peak of where Jesus was getting to. So if you've got your Bibles there or your device, turn to John chapter 3. And just to help get in the flow and the context of where John chapter 3 verse 16 is, I'm going to read from verse 14. And as I said, I'm going to speak now to you, not out of disrespect, but I'm going to speak to you like I studied it, as if I didn't have a clue. Okay? So we're going to go through now. I'm going to start by reading these verses here. And it says, verse 14 of John chapter 3, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will in him have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, For God did not send, his, send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18, He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There's a lot in those few verses, that passage, and you would have noticed because it's so familiar with me, I actually messed up in the writing in my reading as you were go, as I was going through. A common mistake for me. So let's look at these verses. Let's look at them grammatically. Let's refresh in what's happening around these verses. And let's look at some of the key words. And actually in John 3.16, we're actually going to look at actually every actual single word in that verse, understand its meaning, its use, and where else it's used in Scripture and how. Because one, some of the clear ways of, being, of reading the Scripture and being led of the Spirit to walk away with understanding is you approach it with who God is, who God has revealed himself to be. And then as you read the Scripture, you go to other passages in Scripture that talk about the same thing, that have the same words, and you look at their usage. And then together you gain a greater understanding instead of just reading one verse thinking, yep, I understand it, and walking away with some or all of it out of context. So that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to, some verses, I'll give you time to look to them, to go to them, and other ones I'm just going to say them or quote them um, just for the sake of time. Okay, but if you want to know any of the references, please do come to me afterwards. Okay, so I've already, in the introduction, in leading into it, I've told you what has been happening, that Nicodemus had come to Jesus and Jesus was explaining to Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, a leader, religious leader, who thought that he could live by their rules and, and the Mosaic rules and he could get himself, earn himself enough, be good enough, do the right things and he would get his way into the kingdom of God. He would have his sin forgiven. He would be acceptable. And after all, he was a Pharisee, so he was somebody in his thinking and in some people's thinking. So then as we get to uh, verse 14, God, is, God the Son, Jesus here, is trying to make it very clear that it's, our only hope is in him. Their only hope. So verse 14, Jesus is foretelling. That's what's going on there. He's telling, and it's going to be like. He's foretelling what is going to happen. Verse, verses 15, 16 and 17 He's telling us the why it's going to happen. He's going to die on a cross because he needs to be lifted up so that sin can be dealt with. And verse 18 tells us the consequences of whether you do or you don't believe, whether you do or don't accept the fact that Jesus Christ is the only saviour provided for all of mankind. But let's get right into the words here. So these verses, they have different um, approaches to them, but we're going, as I said, we're just going to deal with the words in John 3.16, and that's where we'll be most of the time, but we'll go to other passages, as I said, so that we can make sure 
we're understanding truthfully, correctly, what's happening here. So, as I said, it's very important that we approach Scripture for who God is. And this, in summary, is in, in 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 6. 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 6, it says, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. So I'll read that again and think about the, the, different, the way it's all working there. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. It's a complete summary in a condensed way of who God is and how he operates. Our only hope is in him, is in Christ, because God has sent him. So let's go to John 3.16. And the first, verse set, first few words are, For God. For God. For, it's in this verse it says that God acted. God initiated. God did it. God did it. God acted. And as we, if you were to turn to Romans 5.8, now as we go through, I've used, endeavoured to use a lot of familiar verses in this so that you can recall them and so that you can link them together as they should be. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrated, so God's at doing it, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. It was God who acted. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says, But God, but God being rich in his mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, it's another way for wrongdoing or sin, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved through faith. That verse again says that is an act of God. God initiated, God stepped forward and acted to do with our sin. And if you notice in when I wrote, uh, wrote, read Romans 5.8, it was his own love. He demonstrated his own love. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5, it says being rich in his mercy. So it's not just a part of his love in this, but also his mercy. And it was because of his great love that he acted in mercy towards mankind. It was also an act of grace. In 1 John 4.10 it says, In this is love, not that we love God. So it's not that we acted towards God, to good towards God, or do anything to compel him to come to us. But in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, that means that he stepped in on our behalf and paid the price. No one else did, but Christ did. But as it said, that was an act of love that God did in sending his son. If you kept going down in 1 John 4, if you got to verse 14, it says, and this is John the Apostle testifying here, what he and the other apostles saw and heard. He said, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Saviour of the world. So again, it is God. So 
The first couple of words here in John 3.16, it says, For God. God acted. God acted out of his love. God acted because he initiated it. God didn't act because he owed us something. He didn't act because of our love for him. It says it was his love for us. He didn't act because I sort of you know, had something over him or anything like that. God initiated it. If we were to keep reading through scripture, if you would talk about us, we were dead in sin. We were in a hopeless state. We were at enemies with God. That is our natural sinful position when we are born and until the point of repentance. So God initiated that. And it says, for God so loved. Those verses that I've just gone through, many of them had in it talking about God's love. They echoed it. It's not just one thing we're talking here from verse 16 and then taken out of context. We've just seen as we've read through repeatedly that God acted towards us out of his own love. He initiated it out of love. And that is an amazing thing, isn't it? There's a holy and righteous God. There's a sinful little brute like me born. But yet he says, I'll step in. I will act out of love towards this little sinner, that big sinner, who won't have anything to do with me. He's trying to be stubborn and rebellious and run from me and do it his own way. So as we read in Romans Romans 5.8, we read that he demonstrated his love toward us. So it's not that we missed out. It's not that it was just a select few he decided to love and make salvation possible for. No, he loved us. And the meaning of the word loved here, the best for me to describe it, is to think of the antonym here. The antonym, or the opposite of it, is to neglect, to abandon. But yet God, in his love, his grace and his mercy, he acted, it shows that he, he acted in a, in a direction of will, of personal will, for the purpose to esteem and to build up. That is the meaning of the word love and the use of it there. With the idea, the intention, that he could delight in the recipient that he could delight in the recipient. So that is those who receive his act of love, his act and offer of propitiation, forgiveness of sin. And that's pretty amazing, isn't it? That God would do that, that he would have such a love for me. 1 John 4.9 says, By this the love of God was manifest in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him so he did it that we might live first timothy 1 15 says that christ jesus came into the world to save sinners in john three sixteen, we read that for god so loved the world what he loved the plants he loved the cats the dogs the dinosaurs or oh, the dinosaurs are gone a bit late god no there's nothing silly like that it's meaning people and here when i just read it in 1 John 4, 9, it's the same. God is talking about all of mankind. It wasn't just one or two, or maybe a, just a tribe or a people group, an eth- ethnicity. No, God came to deal with the sin of all of mankind. He had all of us in mind. So that's why it says, for God so loved the world. So we've seen that God acted, that God acted in love 
where he wanted to come to us and benefit us and do something for us to, and wanted to be then, us, his, the recipients of his act, he wanted then to delight in us when we have received what he was offering. He came into the world. He came into the world to give. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it's another f- couple of familiar verses, isn't it? By grace you are saved through faith. It is a debt from God. No. At the end of verse 8 it says, it is a gift from God. I got some nice gifts at Christmas. I don't have to pay for a single one of them. Well, technically, yeah, because some of the money come out of my bank account. But you get what I mean. When God gives you this gift, the offer of salvation, there is no debt to pay. Later on, as you go read through Scripture, you get to books such as Galatians. People were acting there and false teachers were coming in and they, they were getting misled and they thought that they could add to their salvation by being good, by doing this, by doing some or all of the old Mosaic covenant. They, but they were mess-lit, misled, misled, misled. Yeah. I'll stop there and go to the next word, misled. And that's what was happening. But he gave a gift. They didn't have to do anything. And God has given that gift, which is said in the, the word world. He's given to all of mankind. But do we want to receive it? Do we want to? 1 John 4.10 In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I read that before. So again, that word in that verse it shows that he gave, he sent. He didn't say, mate, do you want salvation or not, or where are you going to be in this? If you do, I'll work out something. No, God initiated it. God had in mind all of mankind. He acted for your benefit and so that he could delight in you once he received his gift. And it was a gift. It still is a gift available. I can't better it once I've received it. It doesn't deteriorate. It will always be of high value, the greatest value in your life. Now now we're going to get to a word that, as a young bloke, I really struggled with this. His only begotten son. What does begotten mean? His only begotten son. In the Gospel of John, here particularly, here alone, the Greek word monogenes is used to describe not just some funny word that we can't understand, but it's the relationship of Jesus to God the Father and it presents Jesus as as the unique one, the only one. It breaks down to two words, monogenos. Mono meaning one, like mono, we use that that thinking, that word sometimes in our own language, it means one. There's only one of Jesus. Now, as I read in an earlier verse, it talked about his only son. So monogenes, one and only. And genes is of class or kind. In other words, quality. There's no other. He is unique. There's one Jesus Christ. There's only one saviour that could be sent to deal with our sin. God in human flesh. God had to come equal our sin debt because here's another familiar verse Romans 3 23 
For all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. So God is the standard. We've fallen short of who he is in our sinfulness. So therefore, no one can equal God. No one can work or do or act or speak good enough to get up to God. So God himself it had to be, in his uniqueness, the one and only son to come, the physical expression of God, the person of Jesus Christ, had to be the one who came to pay for our sin. There is no hope in anything or anyone else. There was no hope. That is why we read in John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we saw his glory, the glory of the only begotten, there's that word begotten again, from the Father. So the Son, Jesus the Christ, truly is unique. He's unique in his supremacy and his sufficiency as our Saviour. There was no other hope. Okay, so for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes, whoever believes. So what does it really mean to believe? I didn't really believe the Dockers or the Eagles had much hope this last year of winning the grand final. The way the Eagles started, I didn't think they had hope of getting anywhere, even onto their bus. But that's not that sort of hope or belief. That's not what's being talked about here. Let me read a few verses that help you understand and help you understand not just the meaning but the importance of belief. Now, often belief and faith go synonymous or hand in hand when we're talking about salvation and accepting the fact that God came in human flesh and he died on a cross according to his plan as a payment for my sin. And that was sufficient to the Father, acceptable, more than sufficient and acceptable to the Father. And that is testified that he now sits at the right hand of the Father after he resurrected from the dead and was seen by hundreds and hundreds, over 500 people, that he was alive. And it's been documented even by those who didn't believe in him that he was seen after his crucifixion. That he, after he went back to heaven, he sat at the right hand of the Father, signifying the full acceptance by the Father. If that, that is where our belief, our faith needs to be for our hope in salvation. Our hope is in Jesus Christ alone. But let's read a few more passages of Scripture and understand that it's only faith, it's only belief in Jesus Christ. It is belief that rests on reality. It's not just a religious whim, religious hope, religious tradition, but it is on the reality of the truth. So let's read a few verses here. Romans 8, verses 6 to 8. For the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace, because the mind of the flesh is at enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be, and, that, and they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So when it talks about the flesh, it's not talking about my skin, my muscle, or anything like that. It's talking about my sinful nature, the efforts of myself. And God clearly says there that there is no hope, no, that no flesh can please God. It's not just there, but it's right through Scripture. It's over and over again. In and of ourselves, we can't. As we read before in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it is a gift. It is by grace we are saved, a gracious gift. 
So let's keep reading. We've been going through Acts slightly, so let's use a verse from Acts, Acts 16, when the people said, what, can, what do we have to do? They were asking the apostles there, and the and apostles answered, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So those who had been there firsthand had seen and heard God in human flesh. They repeated the words that Jesus had said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Now, just in case you don't understand, the word Lord is his rightful position and title. Jesus was his name given to him at his birth. Christ signifies that he is the saviour of the world sent by God as referred to in the Old Testament. Okay, let's keep going. John, if you're in John chapter 3, head to verse 36. And it says, He that believes on the Son has eternal life, but he that obeys not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So there's that that bit like that unless word, unless you believe. And it's also like in verse 18 that we read. It's either or. There's no third option, fourth option. It's not as if I can say, I don't agree with you, God. I'm going to do it my way and I'll just get there. I can choose to think and say and act that way. But the reality is, God chooses at the end. God has already chosen, as we've read. If Up until you believe, you're already judged, already condemned. There is no hope. Now, if you don't want to agree with that, be God and go create your own earth, your own universe, and your own moral standard. But if you truly are God, you would agree with God and you would do it exactly the same. The reality is there. God is holy and righteous and pure and perfect in all his ways. We can't go around what God has said. We can try and think we are in life, but the reality is in, t- in eternity. But if your faith, your belief is in Jesus Christ as the payment for your sin, then in Romans 8.1, what does it say? There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So what does, that's a common verse too that we might quote and hear a fair bit at church. Condemnation, what does that mean? It's referring to the damnation that is upon everyone, the condemning, judging damnation that is on everybody who rejects, who, sorry, that is not correct, for everybody who do, has not accepted Jesus Christ as their saviour. It is a harsh reality. And you may think, well, that was a bit rough. You, abrupt, you could have gone around a bit easier. But it is a harsh reality that often we don't want to face up to. It's a bit like truth these days. Often truth is denied. We're at a stage in our culture, in our society as a nation, where we, can, where we used to be, that we would help those who struggled in who they are, would give them information, assist them, encourage them and enable them. But now we're at a point when we want them to stay at their point, their, their low understanding, their unrighteous understanding, and we encourage them to be disfigured, to be dysfunctional, to be disabled in who they are. And that shows through. It's a progression that is a, just so common in the sinful nature. It's happened before in time. And as we lead, as Phil prayed and spoke, as we head towards the, the end of this world, when Christ is going to come back, 
and take his church to be with him, his bride. We read in scripture that it gets worse and worse. But yet we don't have to be that. Jesus Christ has paid for our sin. We don't have to come under the the damning or the damnation, the condemnation they've spoken of in Romans 8.1. We can be forgiven. We can be declared righteous before God and forgiven. So let's keep going. So it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. Shall not perish. That is that no condemnation. Have eternal life. In John 10.10 it says, The thief comes to only to steal, kill and destroy. I came to you that you would have life and have it abundantly. So eternal life. We're closing to an end now. Coming to an end. What is eternal life? What, that's another really good religious phrase, isn't it? What does it actually mean? Eternal life, when Jesus speaks about it here, and it's in scripture, it's talking about the life, the true bliss that is found in Christ and we completely realised when we are given our glorified bodies and are present before God in his eternal kingdom, which awaits us after the rapture. That is eternal life. Around these days, there are people who, um, false teachers who say, th- you know, they try to tell you you can have your best life now and that sort of stuff, and they even write books about having your best life now. If you believe it, you will. But if you don't believe it, and you believe this verse here and grasp and understand that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever, so this doesn't matter on rank or whatever, whoever would believe, they could have eternal life. They would ha- that is, they would have their sins forgiven and their eternal destination is promised, it is determined, it is settled eternally by God. So it's a common verse there in John 3.16. But the truth of it, what do I do with it? Maybe 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, in faith I accepted it. Am I living in that reality if I had a true faith in Jesus Christ? Or do I think, ha, yep, I'm glad you're summing up now. I'm glad you're getting towards the end. I just can't wait. It's just a pile of religious talk. Please reconsider what you are thinking if you're thinking negatively about the word of God and God because you are extending to eternity your condemnation by God. Yes, he has given all of us free will now where we can choose what our decision is. But in eternity, God chooses. The moment you die, that is it. Your choices are finished. You are eternally judged already and going to head to hell in punishment. Another thing we don't want to really talk about. But it's a harsh reality, isn't it? But yet it doesn't have to be harsh on you or on me. As I said before, Jesus Christ came with the one intention, 1 Timothy 1.15, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He came with intention knowing full well that a certain day he was going to give up himself as the, 
the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He would come, he would die on the cross willingly as the payment for the sin of all mankind. And that through his death and through his blood, God says, there is forgiveness of sin. And in his, in his resurrection, he showed his power over death and over sin. What do we do with that? What do I do with that? Has it impacted me? Do I really give two hoots about it? Whether I have believed or I don't believe, it's something where we have to choose on and we already have, as you've been listening or in um, some days or weeks, years gone by. Now you may be thinking, oh, most of us are Christians here. Why, why would you even bother saying that, explaining it again and again at church? There are several reasons why I've said this today. One, because I believe I should. Two, because I have a love for God and I want to share his word. Three, because he calls each of us to do it, to share it, at every possibility that we can. Four, because he commands us to. And five, I'm going to read out a survey in closing that shows where the church generally is in the Western world. This is, and it was just collated in September. So it's a fairly, just three, four months ago. So understand, so a survey was done asking a number of questions about people and their understanding of God and different theologies, beliefs and teachings in the scripture. But if someone said that they were a Christian, then they would go and ask one lot of questions. If they weren't, they'd go and ask another. So this is to do with those who claimed that they, and they use the term evangelical. Now to be under this survey and an evangelical, they had to believe and state that the Bible was their highest authority for what they believed. Secondly, they had to believe that Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that we re- would remove the penalty for sin. Three, only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their saviour receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. And four, it is very important for me to personally encourage non-believers to trust in Jesus Christ as their saviour. So just four points in this survey or questions that they were asked. But yet out of this, listen to what the response is out of those who claimed that. 73% agreed with the claim that Jesus is the first being created by God. In other words, they thought he was just a created being, man like you and me, he wasn't really God. So they failed, number one, they didn't really believe the Bible is their highest authority. The second question that came out with it, 58% believe that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism and Islam. In other words, you can come to God however you like. That's not what we've just learnt is it it's not what we've just read from God 56% agree that worshipping alone or with one's family is as valid as going to church no if they really did have scripture as their highest authority and read it then they'd know that God calls us to come it's a part of his structure of the church family of his children 55% believe that the Holy Spirit is a force not a personal being not a person so they don't understand who God is. Now remember, this is churchgoers. It might even be you. It might even be me, to our shame. 55% agree that everyone sins a little, but most people are good by nature. In other words, 
55% of people who claim to be Christian don't believe in the depravity of, of, of mankind. They don't believe Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, even though they claim the Bible is their highest authority. They don't believe in Romans 3. It talks about we're all dead in our sin. 53% disagree with the claim that the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. So they disagree with God's assessment on sin. Yet they claim that the Bible is their highest authority. 46% disagree that, uh, that Christians should join a local church. 44% say that Jesus was a great teacher, but he wasn't God. What heresy? Where is our church going? Do we really know the Bible that we claim, the word of God that we claim to know as our, and have as our authority? 29% agree with a statement that God learns and adapts as he goes. He is not all-knowing. Once again, do they really know scripture? Do they really agree and have it as their final authority? And once again, this is believers in the church who call themselves evangelical, who believe those, who claim to believe those four points. So that's, that was, that's some of the answers that were given. So when I read that, my heart aches. Do you believe John 3.16? Or are you putting your faith in the fact that you raised your hand, went forward in, in a service, prayed a prayer repeating the words of someone else like a parrot, and then thought that you were saved? Do you think because your parents are Christians, your grandparents, your auntie, your uncle, or you're just good enough like Nicodemus? You must be born again. I must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Please be a true believer of the word of God. Don't put it aside. Read it, study it, and pursue the author as your greatest love. Let's pray. Eternal God, you are so holy and righteous, but yet as we've read through here, you are so gracious to us. Lord, I thank you that you've made it so clear that you have dealt with our sin through sending your son, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the one who is has come in all sufficiency and supremacy in dealing with our sin. We are so grateful. Lord, if any of us don't believe, Lord, convict us. Give us a, the hardest of times. Make it seem like we're going through hell until we grasp the consequences if we don't. And yet, on the correct side, that we do understand that we grasp the blessing, the benefit of being a child of a holy and righteous God. So Lord, thank you that you are gracious to us. Thank you that you are mercy, merciful. Lord, thank you that you pursued us because you loved us. And Lord, I look forward, we look forward to eternity with you in heaven, in your kingdom. Amen. <laughs>